The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Meminidah. Aminadab became the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah became the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah the fa- became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah became the father of Shetiel. Shetiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud became the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok became the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar became the father of Mathon. Mathon, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus, the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ became about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention. When behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. He had no relations with her until she bore a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, praise the Lord, and again, Merry, Merry Christmas. What a glorious day before we dive into these amazing, amazing readings. Uh, just a word of, uh, for, 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 first, for first of all, today, two of our young sisters will receive the greatest gift in the entire universe. Maria and Madeline will receive their first Holy Communion today. So congratulations to the Potter's family for, for that beautiful time. If you remember, we've also a part of their family, you know, the Potter's are. We baptized another one of the family members last Sunday, so praise the Lord. So, God is good. And again, welcome to, to the Holy Mass. It's a simplified Mass. We can't have choirs, and we're not supposed to be singing. So at the harp, we have Deputy Holly Bailey up there. She says she's on duty right now, so in case she gets called, she has to jet out of here. And so we've got to go out completely a cappella at that point. So again, pray that all the bad people in town don't do anything for this next hour. So she doesn't get called. So again, thank you to Holly. She's playing the harp and we're beautifully done. I praise the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Don't you just guys love Christmas, by the way? I just love this holiday. Not because of, of, of presents, but primarily because Christmas is all about family time. Family time. There is nothing more important than family. Hear that again. There is nothing more important than to be surrounded by the people that we love. Our family. I've mentioned this in previous homilies. But there was a, there's a beautiful study done by Harvard. It was the largest and longest, most detailed study ever conceived. For 80 years, Harvard studied 472 men. And the question was to determine what makes for the best life. What makes for the best life? It was that simple, simple question. Because if you ask yourself, this is all what we want. We're all striving for the best life we can have. And so Harvard sought out, and all the researchers sought out to answer that pivotal question. They followed these 472 men. They, they followed their, their career trajectories. They followed their, their doctor reports. They followed their psychological profiles. Again, the amount of data they amassed was startling. Again, it was the largest study ever conceived. 
And you know what the results were? About to have the best, the happiest, and the longest and healthiest life was? Was the quality of their relationships. The quality of their love. That's the single most determining factor of one's happiness in life. The quality of our family. Now, I want, I want you to focus on that because oftentimes what happens? What do we often think that what makes family life possible or happy? The accumulation of stuff. Don't we? We have. Don't we always see that? The more money we have, the bigger house we have, the, the better car we have. That's what, that's what means happiness. But no, all of the studies, again, say no. Because oftentimes, I want to bring this up because what happens, oftentimes we see this in families where they sacrifice the family in order to achieve that elusive number. And then what happens over time? The relationships suffer. Yeah, you have a big old house. Congratulations. But the family relationships are frayed. Family is the most important thing. If there's one thing you take away from this homily, it's that. A couple of days ago, I was in the office, parish office is doing, you know, typical administrative duties of the parish, and I get a call. There's a woman frantic. Father, come over now. Come over. I said, why? What's going on? We're fighting again. It's out of control. I said, oh no, okay, I'll be right over. And so I hopped in my car and I, and I went over to this person's house. And ask any law enforcement person in here. Domestic disputes are one of the most volatile situations you walk into. Because the emotions are so high. Emotions are, are running high. And so unpredictable. And so I walk into the situation. Luckily, things had calmed down. Walked into the scene, and, and the father was outside the house. Had to talk him down. After a few moments with him, I went inside to check in on the, the woman who called me. Had to talk her down. But the most distressing of that encounter, when I was talking to the teenage son in that house, You see it on his face, the hatred he had for his father because of the pain that it was causing his mom. He had this hatred in his eyes that no son should ever have towards his father. And then I saw the, the, the little girl in the family, little, little girl. Now she even broke my heart even more. This little girl, you know what she said to me? She said, Father, tell him just to leave. We don't need him. We have grandpa 
And then another comment this beautiful girl made. So we have Grandpa and we have you, Father Brian. We don't need him. Tell him to leave. This is a little, a little girl. She had no business having that kind of hatred towards her own father. And what I saw in that, I said, oh, no. Because what I saw in that was decades and decades of future pain in that family. Because as a teenage boy and as a little girl, you don't, you don't walk away from that kind of situation unscathed. And I worried about that family. As I worry about all of the families entrusted to my care. And we see the importance now. If family is the most important thing, our duty of all of us here, all our families, is that no matter what it takes, to strive for peace. Reconcile. See, I don't know the details of that particular family, what happened. I don't know who, if, if the wife was wrong or the husband's wrong. I, it doesn't matter. But to be agents of peace in the family. You know, in, in a couple of weeks, up here, Sam and Becky, you don't see them, but they're getting married. Raise your hand, raise your hand. See, they're holding hands, how disgusting. Because <laughs> they're about to get married in a couple weeks. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They're about to get married. You guys are about to exchange vows. And if I could tell you, Becky and Sam, the most important thing, no matter how, how many years God gives you, you guys will fight. There's no doubt, you guys will fight. But always strive for peace. I don't care who's right, who's wrong. Always make peace. And that is why the gospel reading today, I had the option of choosing the long version or the short version of this gospel. <laughs> no matter how many times we practice these, these, these crazy names, always tongue ties. By the way, if you need a new name for your future kid, <laughs> may I recommend... Rehoboam, <laughs> or, or Aminadab. Oh, Aminadab, you're so cute. <laughs> or how about Elud? Or if you get a beautiful little girl, name her Zadok. <laughs> These crazy names. In this beautiful gospel today, it's from the gospel of Matthew. I want us to look at this now, not through 21st century lenses, but rather through a first century Jew. If we were first century Jews and we're reading the Gospel of Matthew, all of these crazy names means the world. You see, the reason why Matthew here writes all of the names here from the beginning, from Abraham, all the way down to Joseph and Mary was because what Matthew was trying to do, he understood that in the book of the prophet Samuel, God made a promise. 
that the kingdom of David, the family line of David, which was a royal family of the Jewish people, would remain forever. It would remain forever. But then what happened was shortly after 100 years, the line of David was scattered. They were destroyed by their outer enemies, by the Babylonians and their exile. And so the Davidic line was cut off. But the Jews never forgot. If God promised that one day that God would save us through precisely through the kingship of David's line. Then when Jesus now suddenly arrives on the scene, what Matthew was trying to show is that, no, you see, this Jesus Christ, he's part of the family lineage. He's part of the Davidic line. He's essentially saying that God has fulfilled his promise now. And he lays out the entire lineage of Jesus Christ, the family line of him. And he's showing that through precisely through this line now that Jesus Christ is born. Now here is where Christmas comes. You see, all of us here, we are all Christians. And the pivotal doctrine of our Christian faith is to read the rationale of why Jesus Christ comes down precisely as a baby. So if anybody were to ask you, why are you a Christian? Why does Jesus come down to earth as a baby? And the clue is precisely in the first reading. Isaiah strangely says that the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. What Isaiah here beautifully outlines is that God wants to marry us. He wants to make us a family of God. He wants to make us one just as a spouse, just as a husband and wife marry and become one. Just as in a few weeks, you and Sam will do. God wants to do that with humanity. That is why Jesus comes down as a a little baby. So that we may enter into the family of God. And once God does that, He comes to reconcile the members of the human family in him. And we see this spectacularly done in our history. Have you heard the story of the Christmas truce of 1914? I see see a lot of nods here. It's amazing. So, World War I. Trench warfare. It was supposed to be the war that ended all wars because it was one of the bloodiest wars we've ever seen. And if you can imagine trench warfare, it was absolutely brutal. So on Christmas Eve, so about over 80, over near 90 years now, 80 years, two sides are facing off. The Germans and the British in their trenches. It's cold, it's Christmas Eve. And what did the Germans start to do? They start to sing Silent Nights. Because on the other side, now the British soldiers would immediately recognize that hymn. Because imagine this, both sides, the Germans and the British, they were all baptized Christians. And the vast majority of all of those men on the battlefield, they all went to church, by the way. 
Christian practice was at its was at its was high at those times. And they all knew those hymns that they sang because they were at church. Because our civilization is united through our Judeo-Christian roots. And so when the Germans now, who are their mortal enemies, start to sing Silent Night, although in German, the, the British soldiers immediately recognized the hymn. And so they began to switch verses. The Germans would begin to sing in German, and then the British soldiers would begin to sing in English. What united these two warring sides, again, they were brothers, Christian brothers, was their faith in Jesus Christ. So when Christmas morning dawned, they came out of their trenches, walked no man's land, walked past the barbed wire, the craters, the dead bodies, the blood, and they shook hands. Because at that moment, they were no longer German soldiers, they were no longer British soldiers. They were brothers united in Jesus Christ, reconciled. I want to leave you with two points today. The first one you already heard. Be agents of reconciliation in your family. Focus on those relationships with as much intensity as any job. Our duty is to our family. Heal the broken relationships. Strive to have healthy relationships. Spend time with one another. Grow as a holy family. And the second is this. We are a family, a big Christian family. I know at times, especially in the church made up of human beings, we can be more like a dysfunctional family. We all have that crazy uncle in that room that we all try to avoid. That awkward aunt, that conversation we don't want to talk to because we get a conversation with her. We're, we're talking about cats for the next two hours. We are a family. What God wants for humanity is for us to become one and to unite around him. And he provided the way. The night of the Last Supper, he gave us the Mass. And like a family, he calls us to the wedding table, the banquet feast, the Holy Mass. It is the third commandment of God to keep the Sabbath holy. My brothers and sisters, we must make every single Sunday a priority. Mass is by which we make the family one. Insofar as our fidelity to the Holy Mass on Sunday goes the family. This is where the grace to love comes from. This is where the grace to be strengthened as not only as a parish family, but as a, as a Western civilizational family. Let me ask you, do you think today if the German soldiers in World War I in 1914 and the British soldiers, if they did not go to church, if they did not have the civilizational Christian roots in them, do you think the Christmas truce of 1914 would have happened? No. No. 
But because the vestiges of the Christian civilization was still in them, because mass attendance and church attendance was still high, that kept the family together in the, regardless of, 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 of national war, national war. I ask you to commit to follow the third commandment of God himself and to make mass a priority. Because we all know our families are fraying. Our nation is fraying. Our world is fraying. Why is that? It's not by accident that as Christian practice drops, so does our cohesion as a nation. Because we're neglecting the one relationship which unites everything, which is Jesus Christ. If we do those two things, watch how our civilization will again flourish. If we become agents of reconciliation with our family, if we put time and effort with our one-on-one bonds, if we spend quality time with one another, if we look at one another and just talk to one another, oh, how our family life will deepen. And to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. My brothers and sisters, if we do those two things, as crazy as life gets, we will all be holier. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.